0: Here is an interesting statement from your King James Bible. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he hath set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. And I say amen to the text. All right, let's go ahead and be seated this evening. The Bible is giving us some instruction here From the book of Ecclesiastes, it's probably before us today a familiar passage of Scripture. No doubt that you've read throughout your Christian life. And we understand that this is written by a man named Solomon. Solomon, as you well know, is the son of King David. And Solomon is reigning over a united kingdom and is being used of God in this time in Israel's history. You also know that he wrote the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs we see and understand him to be the wise dispenser of knowledge. There in 31 different chapters correlating with each day of our month, we can go and find wisdom unparalleled from the Word of God. We see Him there. It covers a vast category of truth, circumstances, situation, people to be around, people to abstain from, choices to make. It deals with finances. It deals with family. It deals with eternity. But things begin to change in the book of Ecclesiastes. Here in Ecclesiastes, we see him much older in his life and in his reign as king. And he appears to be as what we would call a disquieted Christian, perhaps living outside of the will of God. And we know that he was consumed by a thousand promiscuous relationships. And the Bible says that those wives had turned the heart of Solomon away from the true and living God. It has been called a book of vanity. That phrase and statement is used over and over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes. But nonetheless, it is still a part ...of the inspired canon of Scripture. It is just as much the Word of God as John 3.16 or Romans 8.28. Amen. It's still there for us to learn doctrine and learn the things of God, the ways of God. And that is what I want to preach on this evening. If you look at verse number 1, the Bible says, "...to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven." I want to look at those two words in verse 1, season and purpose, and preach this burden today on understanding the purpose of your season. Understanding the purpose of your season. It is uh, interesting to me how God used Solomon to give us this uh, overview of life this inspired portion of Scripture. And in chapter 3, we're given a a pretty quick glance at a, a capacious thing called life, a very broad subject called life. And there's much within a life that is 70 or 80 or 90 years, but within these first 11 verses, we really have a lot of life that is squeezed into a certain place in time. God began to give me this message and I was in a particular place in Bryson City in this year and I was praying and seeking the Lord's face and I was in a different season of life at that time. And I was in a room, I was in an Airbnb is where I was and some men and I had quieted away and we were getting some things in place for this transition and I was back in one of those rooms and I was reading in this passage of scripture And the Holy Ghost began to remind me that although it is a different season of life, there is a purpose for every season. And I believe as the children of God, we can know what He's doing. Although, let me say, we may not know everything, we know that God never makes a mistake and we can trust Him with every season of life. We see the surety of the season. There is many seasons throughout life, is there not? Even within this text, he mentions a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. You plant in the spring. Things begin to grow. God sends the water. God sends the rain. And God gives the blessing. And that which was in the seed, dormant, it comes out of the earth and brings forth glory to God. And toward the end of the season, depending on the crop, you're going to have a time to gather in that which was planted. Gathering is completely different than planting. Removing stones is completely different than building a wall with stones. So we see the surety of seasons. Seasons come throughout life and from birth to death, there can be a vast array of seasons in our life just as there are in the world. We see the seriousness of the season. Look with me in verse number 2. A time to be born and a time to die. That is very interesting to me. It doesn't matter what continent you go to. It doesn't matter what graveyard you visit, what country you go to, every headstone you find in a graveyard, there will be a beginning of that life at a date, and there will be an ending of that life at a date, and the only thing in between is a brief dash. The only thing that matters is that somewhere in between those two dates is that that person trusted Christ as their Savior. So we understand that there's a surety of seasons, summer, fall, winter, spring. Then there is seriousness of the season, a time to be born and a time to die. Right now we are living in a space of time and that is what God uses to prepare us for the space of eternity. We know according to Hebrews nine twenty-seven, the Bible says, and as it is appointed unto man once to die, But after this, the judgment. There is an unknown date out there in front of every person in the house today. We do not know the day. We do not know the hour. But whether by the rapture or whether by the death on this side, we will meet God. That's an appointment we're all going to keep. The surety of the season. The seriousness of the seasons. He says there's a time to be born That's the beginning of life and we have children in the room today. They're pretty close to the beginning and we have senior saints today and and they are in those sunset years and we understand that God in his wisdom and in his understanding gives man exactly the amount of days that he wants them to have and we know that in that space of time it is very serious that we know what God is doing in our life and that we have given our life to God to be used in those seasons for the glory of God there's a time to be born we've all had that there's a time to die can I say this by way of introduction if you've only had one birth you will die twice But if you've been born twice, you can only die once, amen. Thank God there's a birth I cannot remember. My mother had me, amen, 315 in the afternoon on December 1st, 1984. I know nothing about that birth. They tell me all about it. But praise God there's a birth I'll never forget, amen. That's the most important thing, amen. And a preacher preached about it this morning over in Hendersonville out of John 3. Ye must be born again, amen the seriousness of the season, a time to be born and a time to die. He says a time to plant, there would be a birth, a time to pluck up that which is planted. There is a harvest thing It is removed from its place of life. There is going to come a time where God calls our name, amen, and we are pulled away from this life, and he harvests the soul of his redeemed home. It's going to happen as sure as the Martin goes to her gourd. We will meet God one day. It's serious, friend. So understanding the purpose of our season, Solomon begins to set the stage with 14 contrasting statements Between verses 2 and 8. And you get ready for a big amen right here. I'm not going to preach all 14 of them. Amen. There's a lot in this text and we don't have time, amen, to preach it all. And I don't have the understanding to preach it all. But in verse 2 we see the beginning and we see the end. And the next 13 statement covers between what happens at the beginning and what happens at the end. He tells us in verse 2 how it begins and ends. Verses 3 through 11, he tells us what happens in those lifetimes. It's interesting to me how God has laid it out. We could summarize it this way very simply. There are different seasons of life represented in every individual in this room. It may be, Brother Morrow, that there are people in this room today that are in a summertime in their life. Everything is going well. The, the cotton is blooming. The bass are biting. The waters are running. There's plenty going on in their life. And they are as joyful and as happy as they've ever been. But it could be there's somebody here in a winter time in their life. We get in different seasons of our life. If we're not careful to understand the purpose of that season, we can make a mistake and get out of the will of God we can make a mistake and begin to question, does the Almighty know where I'm at? Does He know what's going on? And let me remind today, here in North Carolina, God still knows where you are and what's going on. We could summarize it this way. There's coming different seasons. We may be in different stations in life, but I believe God has a purpose for every season. Just as God has ordained four seasons in this earth, I believe He, re- he moves and removes seasons in our life to bring glory to His name, to bring honor and glory to His Son. And He is wanting you and I to trust Him whether we're in the deadness of winter or if we're in the joy of spring and new life, we can trust the Lord with the outcome. Just as with nature, God has ordained seasons in our life. Consider with me Genesis eight twenty two, 22, the, the beginning of the beginning Genesis 8:22, the Genesis of it all, while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. It doesn't matter how much the government messes with it, how much they change the hours, and I wish they'd leave it alone. Can I get an amen? It doesn't matter what they do to pollute the world. doesn't matter what they do to the crops or GMO. It doesn't matter what they do in the outer space. doesn't matter what they do with the winds or the solar. God is on the throne. He's not abdicated it. He's still in charge. And in the beginning, he said, as long as the earth stands, there's going to be seasons, and things are going to come, and things are going to go. Things are going to change, things are going to happen, winters are going to come, summers are going to come, and all of those things are in the providential working of God. He promised that. Solomon said there's a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. You plant the crops in late spring, harvest them in summer. Two distinct seasons and natures in time. Just as with nature, I believe individuals, families, churches, and countries can go through different seasons. Let me ask you a question this evening. What season are you in? Are you trying to live the joy of a springtime in the middle of a winter? Thank God you can have joy in winter. Are you in the deadness of winter and trying to figure out what God's doing? Don't forget, my friend, that spring's right around the corner. Don't forget that while the leaves are on the ground and the saps pulled back in the tree and the game are all scurried and it doesn't seem like life is making sense that just behind winter is a new season of life. That's the blessings from God. I'm thankful for the variety God gives us. Bless his name. I believe God would have every Christian to know and understand the purpose of the season they're living in if I'm going to be fully consecrated and effective through each season of life, if you're going to be effective in each season of life, we must understand God's purpose for me in this season. Some seasons are longer than others. Some seasons have more light than others. Some seasons have more darkness than others. Some days are longer and some nights are shorter. And all of that is in the providence of God. It's all in his doing. You get up into Alaska and you get into a different part of our country and you get up in those places where you can see the aurora borealis, they'll have day almost all day long, 20 and 21 hours of light. Could you imagine trying to sleep with the sun coming through your window for days and weeks at a time? You say, why did God do that? I don't know, but he's God. He can do whatever he wants to. Amen. Amen. Some seasons are longer than others. Some have unique challenges that others don't have. Snow is giving more uh, problems to traveling and, and traveling and commerce and moving about than the dryness of summer. There's different challenges, and there's different uh, things that present themselves in those seasons of life. And the very best way to understand the purpose of your season is to be well acquainted with the one who controls the seasons. I don't know what tomorrow holds but I know the one who holds tomorrow. And the best way to get prepared for tomorrow is to be well acquainted with the one who knows what's in eternity beyond. Amen. Thank God for that. You and I are stuck in today, but God already knows what's going to happen a hundred years from now. Amen. He knows what a day will bring forth. We don't. Let me give you three things in this message and we'll close and go home. Number one, the season of sowing. Look with me in verse number two. A time to be born and a time to die a time to plant, there's a time and a season of sowing. You sow, and nothing happens. You pray for that lost loved one, and they seem to get further from God. You go to church, you're faithful, you knock doors, you give out gospel tracts, you water, you plant, you believe God, but it seems like it's been an eternity since you've seen anybody come to Christ. It seems like the baptismal waters aren't moving like they once did. It seems like a winter time is set in your life. It seems like the season of sowing is completely gone beyond your understanding and you're not sure if God is still even understanding what is going on in your life. God does understand. Has God changed? Has the method stopped working? Does it still please God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe? Is it still God's uh, pleasure and God's desire that churches preach the bloodstained banner and lift high the cross and magnify the Son of God? Is it still His uh, glory and still His desire for you to pray for your lost loved ones and your co-workers? Why, sure it is. It's not necessarily going to happen immediately at our time. We don't get to plant a seed and and get to harvest it the same day. God is in control and God is looking at us to be faithful in sowing the seed. Did not he deal with that, the Apostle Paul in the early church? He said that I have planted Apollos, an eloquent man. He has watered, but God gave the increase. And friends, sometimes God will allow one individual or one family or one ministry to struggle so that someone else can see a season of harvest and a season of growth. But God gets all the glory and everybody's working for the same purpose. Why, sure, we'd all love to see the harvest. But God didn't necessarily promise us all a big harvest. But he did command us all to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And every creature still needs a preacher. Amen. And every person needs a gospel witness. They need them to pray and take them to the throne of grace. God has not changed. God has not stopped working. It is up to us to be faithful and trust Him. We must understand that we are often in a season of sowing and not necessarily a season of reaping. Sometimes God allows things to transpire So that one man can labor and one man can reap and vice versa. But all of that is in the mind of God. Both are needed to be part of life. You know a man will never reap if a man doesn't sow. Sometimes God allows men to do both. Sometimes God allows men to see multiple harvests and sometimes God allows men to take multiple generations over into the promised land and watch families grow and watch them be sanctified and set apart and meet for the master's use. And sometimes he can only bring them so far like Moses and God brings in a Joshua to bring them across. That's all in God's design, friend. In the 1800s, there was a young man You study behind him, you would understand that mentally he was a mammoth. He read at the age of three. He took navigation lessons at ten, studied theology as a child. He entered Princeton College at 17. Despite the fact that he spent one year of his youth out of school for sickness, he was a, a venerable bookworm and a master of language. He mastered the Burmese language, possibly the most difficult language to acquire except for Mandarin Chinese, writing and speaking it with familiarity of a native and the eloquence of a cultured scholar, and he translated the Bible into Burmese. Mentally, he was a mammoth. Spiritually, he was superlative. Converted at 20 with a heart for missions, this young man along with his bride boarded a ship. They headed for India only to be denied entrance by the East India Company. They said, we don't care what you're here for. We don't care who you're here to serve. We don't care what your message is. You cannot come into India. He loses support. He loses more support. His missions board begin to question what God's doing in his life. And because of his acceptance and practice of immersion by faith, after he an individual is saved, water baptism belongs to those that have been saved. Can I get an amen? Because he makes that statement and that plank, his mission board ends up dropping him. He has to wait for a Baptist board to send him further support and aid so he can continue on. After many trying times, frustrations, fears, and failures, they finally found an open door in Rangoon, Burma. There was not one Christian in the land. Eight months after her infancy, they bury their only child underneath a mango tree. Cannons are firing, cholera is rampant, and six long soul-crushing years go by, and there's not one convert. Not one. Then on June 27, 1819, Adoniram Judson baptized his first Burmese believer, Mang Naw. Judson jotted in his journal, and I quote, Oh, may, I prove, may it prove to be the beginning of a series of baptism in the Burman Empire, which shall continue in uninterrupted success to the end of the age. After 38 years in Burma, the loss of a daughter, watching the country go through a civil war, a false imprisonment in a Burmese jail for 21 months, six years with no converts, and only one return trip to America. Finally, at the age of uh, 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 finally on April 12, 1850, at the age of 62, Aram Judson made his crossing into the glory world to receive the rewards of his labor. And it was said after his death there was an estimated 210,000 Christians in Burma. At that time, through prayer, perseverance, and patience, Adoniram Judson had won one in every Burman to the Lord for the glory of God. The purpose and the season of sowing is clearly summarized. In the 126th Psalm, one of the Psalms of Degrees, there's 14. They would sing them as they made their way up by ascents to the tabernacle for holy days. And one of those Psalms, 126, a Psalm of Degree, verse 5 says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him a season of sowing you may be there today and I want to encourage you if it be in the prayer closet if it be in the gospel track ministry if it be faithful to a Sunday school class if it be faithful to a music ministry if it's faithful to pray for a lost loved one you keep going and you keep going and you keep going and you keep sowing there's no telling what God might do just around the corner Season of sowing. Number two, the season of sons. Ephesians 6, 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Mom and dad, your hands are full, but your bank account is empty. Somebody say amen. The road is rough and the tires are bald. The days are long, but the years are short. The season of child rearing and training is the most important season. That you and I will ever live in. It has a spiritual purpose. Malachi 2.15 says. And did he not make two one? Yet he had the residue of the spirit. And wherefore one. That he might seek a godly seed. If you look at the account of Noah. Preaching 120 years. And not having any converts. Beside his own family. The world would look at him as a failure. But praise God. When he sees them babies walk in the eastern gate. It'll be worth it all. And if you don't get anybody else to Christ, we can get our family. I believe in household salvation. And God is still pleased when a whole family gets in the family of God. Amen. It's amazing to me that the book of Genesis teaches us that man was made in the image and likeness of God. The only thing he touched was man. Everything else was spoken into existence. And as parents, he has entrusted us with the privilege and responsibility of handling and raising an eternal soul to be shaped and molded into the individual that God has designed them to be. That little boy back there on the lap of our sister is an eternal soul that will stand before God one day. That's a great responsibility, Brother Morrow. The season of sons. Listen, I'm right there with you. There's parents in the room today. And I'm certainly not an aged man. I don't have it all figured out. But I am still required to preach the whole counsel of God. I am still required, amen, to tell you what the Bible says. And I just want to encourage you, mom and dad and grandparents, go ahead, amen, and take that walk with them. Spend that time with them, amen. Get the coloring books out, amen. Get around the Word of God, amen. Get that Happy Meal, amen, if you can afford it. And spend time with them. Love on them. Correct them. Nurture them. Take them to the house of God. Keep them underneath the preaching of the Word of God. Amen, and the shouts of Zion, and the songs of Zion. And you'll never go wrong by loving those God's entrusted you with. The home is under attack. Our pastor says it all the time that the devil is after our families in America. And the churches will never be any stronger than the families that make them up. And love on them, amen. Write those love letters to your sweetheart. Have that time together as a family. Go outside and build a fort, amen. Go outside and throw the ball. Have a good time, amen. Take that walk, amen. Buy those roses. Buy that candy bar, amen. And have a good time and enjoy the journey, amen, mom and dad. Enjoy that time. It's going to pass. I cannot believe I've already got one teenager and one right behind him. It won't be very long, amen, that those feet running through the house will be silent and they'll be in their own house. This is more maybe for me than it is for y'all. I don't want to waste the season of sons, the seasons of sowing, the seasons of sun, number three, and I'm finished, the season of suffering, the season of suffering. Job 14.1, the Bible says, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Psalm 119, verse 75, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. The Apostle Paul, the, uh, the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ, From both covenants, old and new, both testaments, all throughout the Holy Writ, God has shown us that often he allows suffering to come into the life of a child of God for different reasons and different purposes. We may not always understand it, but I know this, God never makes a mistake. I know this, that when it doesn't make sense, it doesn't have to make sense. He just asked me to trust him. And I think immediately when we hear the word suffering, we think about maybe persecution or we think about maybe a brother John physical or maybe a sickness, but there's different persecutions and afflictions than just those two. This is a season we don't like to talk about. It's a season we certainly don't enjoy living in. There's many different forms and seasons of suffering. Physical suffering is certainly at the top of the list, no doubt. A season when our body is in pain. There is something in your body that will not get better and you just have to learn to live with it. The church I pastored for six years, we had a dear lady that sat right over here on this side, amen. She's a blessing, been faithful for many, many years. She's in her 70s, and she has been so reeked and racked in her body with different types of pains and different types of encumberments and different types of arthritis that I have literally seen her uh, struggle to get into her seat. But she never missed a service. She was there, amen, and the preacher getting behind the work of God and was the first one, amen, to do something for God. Amen. Suffering. She told me one time, she said, Preacher, she said, I've just had to learn to live with it. She said, I've just had to learn to go on in spite of the pain. What about mental suffering? A season when our mind is in pain, when there are things that attack us and there are things that come in and bother us and it may be a taboo subject but let me go ahead and just put it out there that people can struggle with depression, they can struggle with things that hinder them we know that's not God's will for them to stay there and thank God there is help in the word of God and there's help with the Holy Spirit but there are times when our mind can be in pain thank God for the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Scriptures What about spiritual suffering? A season when our soul is in pain. Friend, you live for God very long and you go through some winters and some summers and some changings of seasons. There can be things that can cut you to your soul and wound you. It's as real as the nose on your face. What about financial suffering? A season when your wallet is in pain. (laughs) Amen. More more month than there is money. There's sometimes it seems like we experience all four seasons in one day. Summer, winter, fall, everything seems to be going good and seems like everything is going all right and then out of the blue a phone call just completely changes the entire next several months or years. What is the purpose of those times, preacher? While I don't have the answer for every situation in the room today, I don't know all the sickness and death and disease and all the heartache that folks may be facing in this room, but I know this, all of those things are a result of sin. When God told Adam and Eve, The day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Immediately when they partook of that fruit, they began to die in their body. They began to ache and they began to moan. She became the mother of a murderer. I'm telling you, my friend, all of those graveyards, all of the cancer wards, all of the mental institutions, all of the broken homes, and all of the broken hearts are a result of sin. But there's one who is mightier than the consequences of sin there is one at the right hand of God the Father who still has all power and has all authority and it matters not, my friend, if your chin's plowing a furrow or if you're taking cancer treatments or if your heart's been ripped out, there is peace in Christ and there is hope for tomorrow. Amen. Amen. Thank God and I know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has conquered sin. And he's redeemed us from the curse of sin, yet the effects are still on this fallen, sin-cursed world. Even in the redeemed, even in the saved, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. But thank God, amen, we have a shepherd like I preached about last week to go through those times with us. Amen. Now consider two passages with me and I'm finished. I mean it this time, amen, I'm serious. I'm trying to quit, amen. Consider these two passages with me. Let's see how God provides insight into understanding the purpose of our season. Go to 2 Corinthians with me. I want to show you something. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. Understanding the purpose of your season. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. The first passage illustrates a promise. The second passage illustrates a precept for more understanding. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. You're probably very familiar with this passage. Paul, the writer, of course, he said, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. People argue about what the thorn is. It's right there in the text. The definite article, the, the messenger of Satan. And men, could you imagine how he would beat the Apostle Paul's brains out with what he did to the church before he got born again on the Damascus Road? I could just imagine uh, Brother J.D., he'd be in the synagogue reasoning with those Jews and the devil would crawl up on his shoulder and say, What about that lady you dragged out, amen, in front of her children and hauled her off to prison? What about that young man that you made uh, uh, an orphan? What about that young girl that you made an orphan or that woman that you made a widow because you consented unto their death? And day after day and night after night, the devil would beat his brains out about what he had done prior to getting born again. The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. He's the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament Moses. Moses three times asked God to let him cross over after disobeying the commandment with the rock to receive water. Paul is the New Testament equivalent. Neither one of them got their request, but they both had given the same grace. Look with me in verse number 9. And he said unto me, God said to the Apostle Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee for my strength God's grace is God's strength when you can't take another step God will give strength when you can't take another blow God will give grace God's grace is God's strength and he has all power in heaven and in earth and if Paul had not suffered we would not have the promise It may be that God is allowing the season for you to be a help to someone else down the way in life, and we would not have the promise of this text had the Apostle Paul not suffered. Notice with me in the Bible, My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, the Apostle Paul said, Will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Apostle Paul, why are you in a season of suffering? God gave him an explicit answer. We know the canon of Scripture is closed. We know that there's no more revelation from God. We have a perfect Bible with 1,189 chapters. God may not tell us with an audible voice why we're going through what we're going through, but as it was said this morning at Progress Baptist Church, that God is still speaking and will give us comfort and guidance and help. And it may just be this, child, trust me. But he will speak through his word. Notice with me the second text. Go with me to Titus chapter number 3. Titus chapter number 3. The apostle Paul. Writing to some young men that would help in the ministry. Timothy is one of them. You're familiar with them. And Titus. There were many personalities around Paul. And we're about to see a couple more of them. If you go to Titus chapter number 3. We'll see here this precept. We saw a promise and a principle there in the first passage. And now we see a precept. I want you to see this in Titus chapter number 3. This is what the word of God says in verse number 12. When I shall send Artemis unto thee, Tychicus be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis. For I have determined there to what? That's a season. The apostle Paul is in a winter time physically. The Apostle Paul, if you look at the top of your Bible, it's 63 A.D. We believe in 33 A.D., 34 on the road to Damascus. He was born again by the power of God. He is not a novice. He is a seasoned man, 30 years walking with God, wrote over half of the New Testament, and he is just months, possibly a year, from losing his own life on the sod of Nero's courtyard. Many of these letters, prison epistles, written from Mamertine prison where he would spend the rest of his days, where the apostle Peter would be crucified upside down, a place of darkness, a place of misery, a place that even today there's an upside down cross in that prison representing a winter time in these men's lives. But they're still going on for the glory of God. Look with me. He said, I'm I'm staying here through winter. Look with me in verse number thirteen. Bring Zenas, the lawyer, and he's not wanting to sue somebody because he run his chariot into him. Amen. And get a check. Bring Zenas the lawyer. No, he needs some help. You can get in a time in your life where you need somebody else who can see a little further, who knows the law, who knows the way of God, who knows the working of God, who can go a little further and see a little deeper. And Paul, as wise as he is and as studious as he is, he said, I need some help. You bring this man who knows the law with you. He said, I need Zenos the lawyer and a conjunction. Apollos, on their journey diligently. That nothing be wanting unto them. What does this illustrate, Brother Jordan? He illustrates it by two men. Zenith the lawyer. A man who was acquainted with the law in its, in its implication, consequences. He knew the boundaries of the law. He knew how he could appeal to these different men. He knew how he could be treated as a Roman citizen. He knew all these things. And the Apostle Paul was man enough to say, I don't have all the answers. Bring me somebody that can help me understand this season that I'm in. My friend, if we'll get to where the Apostle Paul was and run the white flag up and say, Oh Lord, I just don't understand what you're doing, but I need your help. I promise you, God will send you some help. I believe that with all my heart. What about this second fella, another personality around Paul, Apollos? We first meet him in Acts chapter number 18. He's a Jew born in Alexandria, Egypt. The Bible says he's an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. He only knew the baptism of John. And then a husband and wife team show him the way of God more perfectly and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Apollos gets born again and he becomes a personality around Paul. And when he's in a winter time in his life, he needed somebody who could help him physically and legally and he wanted somebody who could help him spiritually. And friend, when we go through different stations of life, I believe God's given us pastors, God's given us church members, God's given us Sunday school teachers, husbands and wives. He's given us men learned in the scriptures who can come alongside and help us reason out what God is doing in our life. Apollos was used of God for the work of God and the glory of Christ. These two men were not enemies they labored together. There was a contention in Corinth about who was a Paul and who was a Paulus, But eventually at the end of the Apostle Paul's life, he's saying we are working together. You bring them diligently. You take care of them. You love on them. You be good to them and God will bless you for it. And he said you bring these men immediately. Verse number 14 is a little reminder about winter times in our life. Notice what the Bible says. This is the Apostle Paul now. He just asked for some help. He's trying to understand the purpose of his season. He said, Let ours also learn, ours, the church, save folk. And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses that they be not unfruitful. You generally don't harvest a whole lot in the deadness of winter. But in the kingdom of God you do. It might be next Sunday that person you've been praying for walks the aisle and gets saved in the middle of a winter time in North Carolina. He said right here, if you don't remember anything else, ours, you keep being fruitful. You keep playing that instrument. You keep teaching that class. You keep going to that nursing home. You keep giving to the work of God. You keep raising them children. You keep knocking those doors. You keep praying for those loved ones. And do not be unfruitful in the middle of a winter time. If you and I have been paying attention, these texts necessarily don't give us all of the purposes and reasons for your season. But I believe this with all my heart. If we're honest and open and sincere before God, while He may not give us an answer, if we'll go to our prayer place, if we'll go to the Word of God, I believe He'll give us the faith and the grace to trust Him through anything. God has not commanded us to do anything that He will not give us the grace to go through. Go with me to Romans 8. My final text. I promise. Romans 8, here's a text that we all quote, Romans 8, 28, but I want to say this respectfully as I can, if we're going to quote 28, we need to quote 29 as well. You know why there's different seasons in our lives? To make us more like the Son of God. Golgotha wasn't a nice, beautiful picture of spring for him. He had some spring times when he was bringing life out of the grave, when he was multiplying the fish. The only miracle recorded in all four Gospels, the feeding of the 5,000, beautiful picture of springtime, the, the strength of his ministry, those three and a half years when he's working miracle after miracle. Golgotha was a dark winter time, but look at the souls that it harvested and reaped for the glory of God. You and I wouldn't be saved without Golgotha. I don't care what John MacArthur says, the blood is still necessary for the salvation of souls. Amen. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things, all seasons work together for what? Good. To them that love God. This is a promise for Christians. To them who are called according to His What's the title of the message? Understanding the purpose of your season. Look at verse number 29. For whom He did... Foreknow, and I am not a Calvinist. Somebody say Amen. It has nothing to do with God electing some for hell and some for heaven. That is heresy. But God does know who will receive Him, and biblical foreknowledge is based on Him conforming us to His Son. In this text, prove it. He also did what? Predestinate to heaven and hell? No. To be what? Conformed to the image of who? His Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. A famous sculptor was commissioned to uh, create out of marble a massive statue of an elephant. It was going to be in the foyer of a prince's palace. They brought in the large piece of marble. They brought in the commissioned sculpture, And the sculptor began to work with a raw piece of stone. He began to take this natural thing out of the earth with his tools and with his wisdom, with an intended purpose at the end to bring honor and glory to that prince and to that foyer as he would come into that kingdom. All the visitors who would come in and they would see this animal that he loved so much that represented their country. He began to work and he began to labor day after day, night after night, week after week, month after month. Finally, it is presented in a royal entry and a royal celebration to the prince. The prince asked him one question. He said, how did you take a granite stone, a marble stone, absolutely no beauty, absolutely no worth, and make it into such a living, lively resemblance of a beautiful elephant? This was his answer. He said, I took everything off of it that didn't look like an elephant. And one day, friend, when we wake up on the other side, When we exhale down here and inhale up there for the first time and we look on him whom they pierce and we see him as he is and every mouth is stopped and I'm telling you we begin to glory and bless the Lord and magnify him and go to the marriage supper of the Lamb we're going to understand that God the Father brought seasons and he brought times and he brought difficulties to take things out of our life that don't make us look like the Son of God. We're going to quote 28, we need to quote 29. They do work out for good and sometimes they don't feel good. But thank God verse 29 tells us that in the mind of an all-knowing God he said I'm making Brother Morrow and I'm making Brother JD and I'm making those ladies down there being conformed to the image of the Son and he's perfect, he's my desire, he's the firstborn among many brethren and while we will not be completed down here he's working to bring us as close as he can and one day we'll receive a body like unto his glorious body understanding the purpose of your season let's stand together every head bowed and every eye closed sister if you'll come this afternoon